Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. It is uh, 10.06, and uh, Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org, topic, passage of Amendment 3 gives uh, accelerated talk of curtailing the initiative petition process. What principles have to be considered here in the state of Missouri? We're going to chat with him uh, at about 10.35. Uh, around 10.15, 10.20? We're going to chat with the Republican National Committee. I've got some interesting statistics on men and women voting in the last election, uh, married and single. And it, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a, a nugget in here that uh, we got to look at. Anyway, we'll talk with the RNC's Rapid Response Director, Tommy Piggott, uh, to do a recap. We'll find out officially what the Republicans are saying about the Tuesday election. That's coming up at about 10.15, like I said. But right now, I am pleased to tell you... David Stokes is with us, Director of Municipal Policy over at the Show Me Institute. Uh, the Boone County Commission approval of a tax break. We'll find out about that. Uh, commercial surtax in one county. We'll kick that around. And uh, what we know so far about a massive uh, $300 million resort development at Lake of the Ozarks. Dave, you got a lot to talk about in a short time. To do it, welcome. Great to be on the air with you as always, Gary. Yeah, there's there's always there's always plenty going on in local government in Missouri. That's for sure. Yeah. So tell me, what is this uh, tax break uh, for equipment share? Well, equipment share is a large, successful, growing Columbia account, Columbia company. I'm sure many people in your listening audience are very familiar with it, and they want to expand, and that's obviously a wonderful thing. But like most companies now, when you want to expand. You go to your local government or your state and you ask for some type of subsidy. And Boone County, without without much consideration really, Boone County would probably disagree with that statement, but without much debate, Boone County has given equipment share a very substantial tax subsidy uh, over the next 20 years or so, 15 years to be exact for their, for their largest per, uh, subsidy. They're going to get a 75% property tax abatement on uh, on their new development, their new expansion. Should they hit a few promises and targets, and I guess we can give Boone County a little bit of credit for, for at least putting some of this in writing, as they intend to do. But it's still, even with these clawback provisions, which I'll admit are better than nothing, it's still the bad way to go about economic development. We know that there's plenty of examples of failures in mid-Missouri be it from the, the fraud that was the Mantec scam up in Moberly to the failures of the IBM expansion, which was heavily subsidized in Columbia. And now they're just sort of repeating this. Now, I hope this works out in the end. But this is what we want to talk about in comparison to what Laclede County proposed and what Clay County did outside of Kansas City, where instead of special tax cuts for a few, they proposed business tax cuts for all businesses. And that's just a much better, better way to go about it. Even if it was, unfortunately, rejected by voters in, in the Cleed County, it did pass, thankfully, in Clay County. And, and that's really the central message I want to bring to people today. So, LeCleague, uh, it failed. Clay County, it passed. So, what's going on in Clay County? That uh, business taxes are being reduced? They are. So, for the first time ever, there's this property tax called the commercial surtax which is levied on top of all other regular property taxes and only levied on commercial and business property. And for the first time, two counties, McLean County there in South Central Missouri in your listening audience, 
and Clay County, up a little bit north of Kansas City, uh, they they put a ballot proposition on to lower this tax. And it passed in Clay County, and I'm very, very excited about that. In Laclede County, where they went for a bigger tax cut, uh, it failed. It failed overwhelmingly, despite the fact that Laclede County is a pretty conservative county and voted voted pretty conservative on Tuesday. But the people shot down this tax cut. I hope Laclede County tries again, because compared to their neighboring counties, they really do have a high commercial property tax. And I do think it needs to be addressed. Maybe they went a little too much with a dramatic tax cut here. Maybe they should, you know, try again with a lower amount. But still, I like the idea of they're trying to propose tax cuts for all businesses and not just special incentives for a few. When you, when you, I, I hope Laclede County government and Lebanon City government doesn't respond to this by starting to give out more incentives like happens in Columbia and Kansas City and St. Louis because that's that's the wrong way to do it, to do it. Equipment share. It may work out in the end. It may not. There's plenty of evidence that it doesn't work work in the long run. Equipment Share has their special deal, but all sorts of other businesses in Columbia and Boone County are still paying higher tax rates, and I don't think that's right. And it's also, just as importantly, not good economic. Well, Clay County is kind of like the crucible. We're, we're going to actually get get to see what happens there for businesses. Uh, and see if it enhances uh, the marketplace, and then maybe other uh, communities will learn from that. Absolutely. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens, too, in the coming months in the Lake of the Ozark region, where there are two different really large developments being proposed in the Osage Beach area. One is about a 2,200-acre a multi-use development, a lot of residential, but some other components as, as well. The other is a $300 million entertainment complex and venue. A lot of, lots of details still to come on both of these developments in the lake. And at this point, it's my understanding they haven't asked for any subsidies, but it's unfortunately likely that they will. And I just hope that leadership in the Lake of the Ozark area is able to stay disciplined and say, look, we have very low taxes in the Lake of the Ozark region. If these developments succeed, perhaps they can make the taxes lower for everybody, businesses and residents. But I hope that they don't give away the store when these two large developments come and say, look, you know, we're going to spend all this money. Give us a special deal. The Lake of the Ozarks is a thriving, prosperous, growing area. They don't need to, to lay down and, and roll over and give away special tax deals to a, a few new developments. I very much hope that they keep their discipline here. And again, if they succeed and really grow the economy and grow the tax base, well, then cut the general property tax rate for everybody. That's the way it should go about in the Lake of the Ozark. I'm going to take you in a different direction in the last uh, minute or so. Uh, the value of used cars skyrockets. Uh, the value of real estate has gone up. Uh, ergo, the uh, taxes on those vehicles and properties have gone up. If that reverses, if that trend reverses, will the taxes come back down? Well, for, all right, let's take them separately. With cars, yes, they, they will. Uh, we've seen a strange incident over the past two years where the value of used cars is going up, not, not down. So across the state of Missouri, people are getting their tax bills for cars that are a year older 
and have more miles on them, but they're paying more in taxes because the blue book value went up. And unfortunately, personal property doesn't have the rollback requirement that real property does. So there's no rule that when assessment valuations of your cars go up, the tax rates roll back. There should be. We need to make that change. But if car values plummet, if suddenly new cars become much more expensive and used cars prices go down, yeah, as that value decreases, you'll you'll see a tax decrease. But we really need to make this change in the in the law about the personal property tax rollback. With with homes, it's very interesting and pretty complicated because next year is a reassessment year, and with all the dramatic price home value increases over the past two years, it may be leveling off now. And some people are saying home values are going to decrease, but reassessment is based on the value of your home on January first. So if home values around Missouri start decreasing next February or March, that's not going to do anybody any good. It's your January 1st, 2023 value. So, And then you throw in the incredible inflation we've had, which is going to reduce the amount of tax rate rollback cities, school districts, and counties have to do. It gets pretty complicated, but I very much fear that homeowners around Missouri next year are going to be walloped with property tax increases through this combination of home value increases and inflation. I think it's going to be a very scary year, and hopefully we can tighten up the rollback rules to make school districts and the like roll back their rates even more than they're currently required to. Assessment is not supposed to be a windfall for local government, but too often it is. Get rid of all of it and just go to a consumption tax. Uh, and that's much better. And while it may not be as dependable, it shouldn't be as dependable. Taxation shouldn't be uh, any more dependable than uh, my paycheck. All right, David Stokes, thank you for being with us. Jerry, so much. We got a lot of information on all these topics at showmeinstitute.org, and people can follow me on Twitter at David C. Stokes. Thanks again. I always enjoy talking with you. All right, David. Thank you. Tommy Pickett is on board to do a little uh, look back at the election. I saw some surprising numbers. We'll share that with you on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 21 minutes after the hour. Glad to have you with us. I've got some interesting information on the demographics of the election on uh, Tuesday. Uh, Tommy Piggott is with us uh, to talk about and wrap up, uh, kind of do a look back at the official uh, review of what happened. Tommy, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on. I was looking at uh, these numbers. They're in the Washington Examiner. Uh, gender by marital status uh, for Democrats and Republicans. Uh, married men uh, came out uh, way stronger for Republicans. Married women, same. Unmarried men, also. Uh, unmarried women, not so much. Uh, unmarried women went for the Democrats in a large way. Uh, unmarried women broke by 37 points. Did that hurt the, uh, the midterms? Well, I think, first of all, when looking at the midterms, it's important to just contextualize the fact that we're going to win the House, which is a massive, massive victory. So I think that should be the main takeaway from those midterm results. But I think secondarily, I think one of the takeaways from those numbers is actually how much the GOP has become the party of parents. Because within those numbers, we see parents that uh, are voting for the GOP on issues like education. And that's a massive shift from where uh, those trends have been in the past. So we're actually seeing massive gains. If you even look down at school board members, governors winning by double digits, uh, not a single GOP incumbent lost. And in fact, 14 of the 15 won by double digits. 
you're seeing this huge movement towards the GOP amongst parents, amongst married uh, couples to say we need to stay in our kids' education. And I think that's the big takeaway from those numbers. Tommy, if I were to advise Republicans running in the next election, I would tell them when it comes to the abortion issue to point out that for the last half a century, we have been saying uh, that it is for those people in their own states to decide and that we are not going to federalize anti-abortion or pro-abortion rules. That's what all of the Roe v. Wade uh, fight has been about for the last 55 years. It, and, and I think you, you empower people in their own states to make their own decisions. And that's really what that whole Supreme Court uh, decision was about. Because it's not something the federal government should do. And, they, and Republicans need to state that clearly at the federal level. Look, we're, you know, we may be pro-life, but this isn't our issue. It belongs to the states. Well, I think Go you're ahead. exactly right to point out the fact that that's what the Dobbs decision did. And it was clear, evidently, uh, by, based off of the amount of ad spending, the media narrative from the left, that they were spinning and lying about this issue for months. Just blatantly lying. Calling things like uh, abortion bans that were not abortion bans. Calling measures to g make sure that babies that are born alive after an abortion get care, calling that an abortion ban. Calling common sense restrictions on the state level uh, at something like 20 weeks an abortion ban. When no person would describe that as a ban on abortion if it limits it at 20 weeks. There has been a relentless narrative from the left to lie about these issues. Part of the job now is, and what we have been doing for months, but this continues, is to push back. The issue of abortion has been debated, litigated for, for decades, and that, that fight's going to continue. I think you're exactly right to point out that the Dobbs brought this back to the state level. That's where this issue uh, is going to be decided. Uh, and I think it's now continuing the effort to push back against these left narratives that have completely lied about the Republican positions on this. And I think lied in a way that is, is fundamentally immoral, uh, ideologically bankrupt, and I think the American people will eventually reject. Well, then the Republicans need to make that clear. I mean, I don't, I don't think you guys need to make a special trip out of your way. But when that issue comes up, I think that's probably the way to handle it. Hey, we're running for federal office. This is nothing to do with, with us. We've turned this over to you so you can decide in your own state. Uh, and I think that uh, it's both accurate and uh, and beneficial for the Republicans. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. You may not be comfortable with this. The Wall Street Journal has written a piece uh, that uh, deals with this, and so have a couple of other places. Uh, what will Democrats do when Donald Trump isn't around to lose elections? We have to wonder, because on Tuesday, Democrats succeeded again in making the former president a central campaign issue, and Mr. Trump helped them do it. Uh, but wait, there's more. Uh, the Daily Caller, Donald Trump might be the only person in America who couldn't beat Joe Biden in the 2020 presidential election. And Trump's also the reason Republicans perform so poorly. Uh, you see Vance in Ohio. It, uh, Mitch McConnell had to send millions of dollars to, to Ohio to save that seat for the Republicans. Uh, but And all the other picks that, that uh, Donald Trump got through uh, just really made it challenging as hell for the Republicans. Um, you know, is he an asset for the party? Can you say that? Without, I don't want to get you in trouble here, but is he still an asset in the general election? Uh, is he an asset with independents and Democrats? 
So I'll just say a few things on that. I think first, fundamentally, not to be lost, is the fact that we won the House, we're in a dogfight for the Senate. So again, just contextualizing a lot of uh, this criticism that's coming up. Uh, the election results are still coming in in terms of a lot of these states, which is you know an unacceptable length of time. So putting that aside, we won the House, we're in a dogfight for the Senate. That's just contextualizing that. The second point is that it's it's evidently clear that Trump has energized a huge segment of the American people that have never been involved in politics before. That that is just fundamentally true. But when it comes to going forward, the Republican voters will decide what path is the best way forward. I think it's too early to try to get into the nitty gritty of exactly why we underperformed in some areas, but overperformed in areas like New York, which has been really a astonishing result for the Republican Party. How about so Miami-Dade? Holy Toledo. Yeah, uh, that as well. A huge outperforming in Miami-Dade. First time in 20 years a Republican has carried that county and carried it by 10 points, which is really, it's, it's astonishing number. So we'll get more of this information coming in. We'll see where we performed well. We'll see where we didn't perform quite as well as maybe we wanted to. But I think fundamentally, uh, it, just knowing that Trump energized a ton of people from uh, in the Republican Party was a good thing. I think Republican voters will decide when they look at these elections what path they want to take forward. And I don't want to get ahead of that conversation. I don't want to uh, get ahead of what Republican voters decide to do. All right. I understand. Uh, Stacey Abrams apparently is, um, well, she's she's got a new problem. Uh, the story is uh, in the Washington Examiner. Uh, lost the race for governor, denied that she lost, falsely blamed voter suppression despite a record midterm turnout uh, at a federal case that uh, failed to produce a single voter who had been disenfranchised. This time she's saying Democrats' uh, favorite new excuse for underperformance, disinformation. Uh, apparently uh, male, black male voters were g- g- given disinformation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of astonishing uh, what Stacey Abrams, uh, her, her excuses for losing. I mean, she didn't just lose, she lost badly, uh, oh, yeah. especially when compared to the last election. And she wasted tens of millions. Uh, it might be actually up to hundreds of millions if I have, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but tens of millions of dollars on that race to lose by more than she lost last time. Uh, and it's the same with Beto O'Rourke in Texas. I mean, there's, this, there's this whole class of Democrats that, that completely embrace the farthest left parts of their party. And if you look at the midterms, Look at Stacey Abrams. Look at Beto O'Rourke. It's the far left that lost. The far left has been shown to be this uh, completely out of step with the American people uh, and races across the country. And so Stacey Abrams is going to come up with another excuse for why she lost. The last thing that she ever blames is herself. But the voters in Georgia spoke clearly that the last thing they wanted was Stacey Abrams as their governor. <laughs> Robert Francis O'Rourke. He always reminds me of those things in the used car lot, you know, with the arms in the, in the air. They're filled with air and they kind of weeble wobble around i wonder what he does for a living does he ever work has he got a job or is just <laughs> is losing races his job i don't know tommy yeah, thank he you spent a couple yeah, so he spent a couple of weeks on a road trip one time before he ran for president so maybe that's what he considers work i don't know <laughs> <laughs> right tommy piggott thank you for being with us Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. All right. Coming up, Ron Calzone. Calzone. Uh, Passage of Amendment 3 gives uh, accelerated talk about curtailing the initiative petition process. We're going to kick that around with you across the state of Missouri. What principles have to be considered? It's the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 
Dave Rowland is going to be with us uh, in uh, just a short while, about uh, quarter after 11, uh, with an update on the uh, O'Fallon impeachment case. Uh, then uh, Kansas City Mayor files a motion after Missouri passes Amendment 4. Uh, we've got a 67-year-old psychiatrist who's told she couldn't do her job in federal prisons. Uh, and we'll also talk to him about this Amendment 3. We're going to chat with Ron Calzone about it over at Mo First. Because uh, uh, Brian and I are sitting around thinking there are lots and lots of questions about what law enforcement can and can't do uh, with this lousy deal. And I do think it is a lousy deal. And with that in mind, we bring in Ron Calzone. Calzone. Passage of Amendment 3 really, really... I'm really disappointed this thing passed. It was a terrible, terrible bill. It's it's in our Constitution now. If somewhere down the road the feds, and I believe they will, decide to legalize marijuana to get away from it, we're going to be stuck with limits on how much you can carry. And uh, what a mess. Ron, welcome. In fact, we're going to be stuck with a constitutionally prescribed crime for possessing more than three ounces of marijuana. So it's so the, the general assembly won't be able to do anything about that with the statute. So it'll be it'll be a crime. There's only one other time in the Missouri Constitution, and it was when the, the stupid clean Missouri was adopted, that a crime was added to the Constitution. You don't put crimes in constitutions. That's just not done. So rightly, uh, the general assembly is concerned about this passage, but wrongly. In typical General Assembly fashion, they're directing their angst and their concern over it in the wrong direction. So there has been, since Tuesday, uh, an enhanced amount of talk about needing to reform IP or the initiative petition process. You and I have talked about that before. I think we share uh, we share an opinion that we, we need to have an, IP, an, an initiative petition process. We need to keep it healthy. Uh, but because... Uh, the Republicans in control of the Missouri House and Missouri Senate don't like Amendment 3's passage, and neither do I, neither do you. Uh, they want to go after the people's right to use the initiative petition process. So it's, that's what we're going to be facing next session, this renewed calls for IP reform. This is like that old um, mother-in-law going over the cliff in your new car thing. There's good news, bad news in this. Uh, I think it gets abused, especially by uh, unions and, and people with organizations with lots and lots of money. Uh, you can raise the bar, and it doesn't matter. They've always got the money, uh, and they get what they want. You and I, on the other hand, don't have the access to those kinds of funds, and we don't have the kind of control over the Constitution that the average guy wants. But I think there's a bigger problem, Ron, and I think the bigger problem is that we have turned government uh, into a nanny state watchdog uh, and instead of a republic, a democracy. And I think that combination is killing us. Well, I agree, and and I think that, um, you know, the, the, the situation is, is complex. But some aspects of it aren't complex, you know. So uh, some things that have to be considered. Uh, um, there's a lot to unpack here. But as you pointed out, when the pockets are deep enough, it doesn't matter how high you raise the bar, they can get something on the ballot. 
So uh, one of the industry uh, participants said in a, in a report yesterday that they anticipate $800 million to a $1 billion worth of sales of marijuana per year in Missouri. So when you have a billion dollars at stake, a billion dollars to be made, they're not going to care if they have to spend another million or two or five to put something on the ballot. So the measures, the measure that got the furthest in the General Assembly last year was uh, HJR 79. And that would have done two things. It would have doubled the, uh, the signature count required to get something on the, you know, in a petition to get something on the ballot. And it would have raised the ratification threshold to a two-thirds vote instead of a simple majority vote. So as you pointed out, if you want to do something like a citizen's effort to get rid of property tax, or as I tried to do in 2008 and 2010 and 2012, stop private use eminent domain, uh, there's no money behind that. There's no money to be made in that. And so if you double the, the signature threshold, we're sunk before we ever start. The citizens won't be able to use the process. But the deep pocket interests, like the marijuana industrial complex, will still be able to get it done. The unions will still be able to get it done. All of the people that the Republicans are concerned about will still be able to put things on the ballot. It's, you know, that said, it's not too easy. They think it's too easy to get stuff on the ballot because you had one measure on the ballot. Well, there were 91 petitions that were submitted for circulation in 2022. 91 of them, and only one of them actually made it to the ballot. So don't tell me it's too easy. And the one that made it to the ballot, they had six or seven million dollars to do it. So it's not too easy to get stuff on the ballot. Now, what we can talk about is, is it too easy to ratify something once it is on the ballot? Another interesting statistic, there's 116, quote, counties in Missouri, when you count the counties plus city of St. Louis is considered a county for voting, 116. Only 16 of them said yes to Amendment 3. Wow. That, uh, that would be uh, areas, I'm guessing, around Kansas City and around St. Louis, including St. Louis and perhaps even Boone County. I didn't see the uh, exact numbers, but I'm guessing around the major urban areas. Yes, that's exactly right. So you, you to include Greene County, there were, uh, you know, so you've got... Um, now, Buchanan County is not exactly a urban area, but you had Boone County and Buchanan County and Cass County and Clay County and Greene County, Jackson County, Jefferson County, which is south of St. Louis. It's uh, kind of partly rural and partly urban, but it's right there on the edge of St. Louis City. Uh, Johnson County, Kansas City. So New Madrid was probably one of the few exceptions where you had an outstate rural place that said yes. So, yeah, it's the, the urban areas we're able to carry the day with this. So that, that begs the question, is it appropriate for such a small part of the state, geographically, to be able to fundamentally change the Constitution like was done with Amendment 3? Well, some might argue it may be geographically a larger area that was opposed to this, but it's really people that vote, and most people we're in favor of it, ergo, this is just fine. Well, that's that, and there is something to be said for that. Uh, on the other hand, we don't think that 
New York State and Massachusetts and uh, you know, Illinois, particularly Chicago and, and, and California, should be able to select our next president. We have something called the Elector College. And so we, you know, you, a, a presidential candidate has to get a ge- get geographic support, not just numeric support. We don't have a popular vote that elects uh, the president. We don't have a popular vote that changes the U.S. Constitution. You have to have a geographic distribution. You have to have 75% of the states, no matter how big or how large they are, have to say yes to changing the fundamental law of the land. So are you suggesting that in the state of Missouri, perhaps they should say 75% of the counties agree or it's no deal? I don't think it should be uh, that high of a threshold like the U.S. Constitution. Uh, after all, the, the federal government is supposed to be very limited in its scope of activities. And so you should have to have uh, an even greater consensus for amending the U.S. Constitution. And I don't think you should use counties. I think you would have a one-man-one-vote problem with counties. But you could use house districts. Now, you could say that you have to get more than half of the house districts to approve, you know, not the representatives, but voters and more than half of the House districts should have to say, yes, we want to change this or change that in the Constitution. That's an interesting idea, and I don't dislike it. Uh, it, it, uh, it needs to be changed. Uh, it's a, it is a challenge. Uh, you know, I've gotten as far as getting it, uh, you know, a piece of legislation approved, our initiative uh, approved uh, by the Secretary of State and Attorney General and having all the, the ballot language drawn up. Uh, we didn't get past the signature thing. COVID hit, but it was still going to be an immense challenge to get those signatures. Uh, and was, that was t- see, Go ahead. I'm sorry. But I, the thing to understand is, is that <clears throat> one of the most fundamental principles of an American constitutional republic is the fact, as it says in Article 1, Section 1 of the Missouri Constitution, that all political power resides in the people. And very closely tied to that, Hamilton identified this in Federal 78, the right of the people to alter or abolish their form of government, their constitution and their form of government, is one of the seven hallmarks of an American constitutional republic. And that, by the way, is Article 1, Section 3 of the Missouri Constitution. And what we have, this knee-jerk reaction we're going to see out of the General Assembly is we're going to see them want to take away the people's right to make an end run around the the government when the government is either oppressive or unresponsive. So I've got to add this before we run out of time. Amendment 3 passed because the General Assembly was not responsive. Clearly, the people of Missouri don't think that you ought to be able to lock somebody up or fine them for smoking a weed. The vote on medical marijuana proved that. This vote proved that. Most of the voters didn't know how much garbage was in Amendment 3. They just knew that it was no longer going to be illegal for people to possess or use marijuana. And they should have, a long time ago, passed a reasonable statute decriminalizing marijuana. If they'd done that, then we wouldn't have Amendment 3 in the Constitution. As uh, listeners could tell you, I have been arguing that the Republicans should have been ahead of this. I've been arguing this for the last six years. At least and they weren't, and so instead they want to take away one of the most fundamental powers that the people have reserved for themselves in the Missouri Constitution: the right to use the initiative petition process. Well, uh, hopefully they're listening to you now, 
because I think that is the wrong track. It is a shame that the Republicans, the small government advocates, the limited government people didn't pay attention. And I know they heard me because I've spoken with them that they should have been ahead of the game, that they should have uh, decriminalized marijuana in the state of Missouri. And they didn't. They left it in the hands of the left. And now we've got this stupid deal. Uh, what happens if, and I'll talk to Dave Rowland about this. What happens if I'm driving down the street and I have uh, four ounces of pot in the car and I have a joint in addition to that? Do they weigh it? Do they have the right to search the car if they smell the pot? What, what, I mean, what kind of complications for law enforcement and citizens have they put in the Constitution? It's well, that's crazy. a good Dave. That's a good Dave Rowland yeah. question. But you know, another time, I, I think I would like to to investigate with you and maybe your listeners how they would feel about the General Assembly maybe putting a repeal and replace uh, provision on the ballot. So, what if the General Assembly said? I tell you what. Well, hey, Ron, if you hang on, I got a caller here. I'm going to bring the caller on. Then we're going to go to break, and I'll bring you right back. Can we do that? You bet. All right, because I don't want to lose this caller. When we go into the break, I'll do him very quickly. That sounded dirty. Uh, Martin, welcome. How are you? Uh, yes, uh, Gary. Um, I, the question I had is uh, to Mr. Kells. I'm not uh, very familiar with the Missouri Constitution. Uh, as far as I know, there is not a way for the people to petition for a statute to be placed in the Missouri Constitution, if I'm if I'm going with it correct, that should be something that should be done instead of just having to put in everything as a constitutional amendment. Be able to say, "Hey, let's put this in as a statute instead of doing it as a con constitutional amendment." Am I correct in that, Mr. Kelton? Well, well, you're right. You're right in in um, the point that you're trying to make that this should have been put in as a statute, but no, they could have. We The initiative petition process can be used to propose a statute change or to propose a constitutional amendment. You have to collect 3% fewer signatures if you want to put a statutory question on the ballot than you do a, uh, a constitutional question, but it takes the same simple majority vote to pass it. So when someone doesn't want... Um, the General Assembly to go and reverse something they did, but have done by a petition process, they'll put it in the Constitution. All right. With and that in mind, I've got to go to the break. Martin, thank you for the call. Hope that answers your question. It's the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. Dave Roland is coming up in about 15 minutes at about quarter after 11. He is the attorney that loves to sue the government to protect your freedom. Right now, Ron Calzone is with us, MoFirst.org. Uh, and, and by the way, when uh, Dave comes on, he's got an update on a, uh, an impeachment case in O'Fallon. Uh, so we'll get to that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Ron, I'm getting all kinds of questions here. Let's see. Uh, why did Ron Calzone run a uh, file as a write-in candidate for the United States Senate as certified by the Missouri Secretary of State? I don't, I don't know why anybody wants to know that. I guess you ran because you wanted to win? No, I didn't. I didn't run. Did they ask why I did or why I didn't? So why did Ron Calzone file as a write-in candidate for U.S. For United States Senator as certified by Missouri Secretary of State? I didn't do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Gary, where is all the money coming from into Missouri around politics? Why? Who's behind the money? I can't get elected because I don't have the funding. Very sad, as I want to run for governor in 2024. 
Well, wow. you know, that's really that really is a good question because you know that deals directly with with this Amendment Three issue. There's you know there's a billion dollars at stake, so you know obviously the pe- people that can make that much money have a lot of interest in spending money, lobbying the General Assembly, affecting who gets elected, and. You know, so, you know, in, in somewhat of a defense to the General Assembly, just a little bit of a defense, uh, one of the reasons that they couldn't get a marijuana decriminalization statute passed is because the marijuana industrial complex, the people that, have, that tend to make a billion dollars on this, they were lobbying against those kind of bills. They didn't want decriminalization done by statute. They didn't want to open up a free market. You know, as we've dis- discussed before, Amendment 3 creates a monopoly of marijuana producers and distributors, just like the medical marijuana measure did. And so they, they don't want true, just plain, simple decriminalization. Now, you could talk to guys like Ethan Thampy, who have been pushing for decriminalization for a long time. He does just want simple decriminalization. And uh, so that's part of the problem. You look at the ag tax credits that were just passed. That's $40 million a year. $40 million a year, and this is direct government handouts to people. I guess somewhat direct because it's a tax credit, transferable tax credits. But uh, when there's that much money at stake, there's going to be a lot of money poured into elections. So you've got to stop the ability of government to hand out largesse if you want to get the money out of politics. Tim writes, uh, how did the Constitutional Convention turn out? Love your show. Well, thank you for loving the show. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to have a Constitutional Convention, Ron. No, and um, interestingly, the vote was about where it was historically. About a third of the people said yes, and two-thirds said no. That's what happened the last three times it was on the ballot since 1945. So uh, the, the needle didn't move any, and it's, which is good news. It's not going to be on for a long, long time. Another 20 years before it's on the ballot again. All right. Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org. You want to know what's going on in, in Missouri? You go to MoFirst.org. Because Ron Calzone keeps us up to date. Ron, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Gary. All right, take care. Ron Calzone. Uh, All right, uh, coming up in the next segment, uh, this is going to be a brief segment. It really is. Uh, It's just something that kind of bothers me. Uh, There is a lawsuit being filed against a Hollywood luminary, a guy I'm not particularly fond of, I might add that says he had sex with a girl uh, in 1973 and he's being sued for it. We'll give you the details in about five minutes. Gary Nolan Zimmer, Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show 